So this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read verses 27 to 30, but I'm just going to be focusing on verse 27. Um, and so if you open up your Bibles, I see uh, still a lot of manual Bibles, not electronic ones, which is good to see. Um, before we begin, let us go before the throne of grace and ask the Lord to, to be with us, to help us. Pray with me now, I ask. Um, Father, we, as we've just been singing, you are a wonderful, merciful Savior, the one that put this plan into motion, and Jesus, the one that executed the plan of redemption on Calvary's Hill. We're here to worship you. My desire is to worship you through the faithful preaching of your word, but you know I'm fallible. I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be with me. Help me to speak clearly, to edify your people. Not to hit them over the head with a hammer, Lord, but to encourage them, Father. To remind them of, of their Savior. To remind them of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that if anyone here that doesn't know you, that they may come to know you. Father, that uh, hearts would turn into fertile soil this morning. So that the gospel seed that would be planted or even watering the seed that's already been planted. Father, that you would be pleased to bring them to the knowledge of Christ today. Be with us now. Lead us, Holy Spirit, as, you prom as Jesus promised that the counselor will lead us into all truth. Lead us once again to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that we may be worshipers of spirit, in spirit and in truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, not sure how many of you listen to classical music. Anyone? A show of hands? Classical music? Some? Good. Actually, that's pretty surprising. Uh, I didn't expect that uh, in this generation. Or um, I, I enjoy classical music. Uh, actually, we play it in the office quite often. I think it's a, a good mode just to be able to focus and I know some people are like oh I fall asleep but there's actually a theory because <laughs> I know because uh, many people start playing classical music when you're babies and you associate uh, the classical music with with uh, falling asleep but uh, there's actually um, it, it's very it's very interesting and, and and if you not just listen to it but if you ever attended a concert uh, a symphony a philharmonic it's beautiful I mean just being able to see an orchestra of all these instruments before you and then you see this guy with these, these coattail, right, the, the conductor, and he takes center stage, and, and he comes, and you see people clapping, right, and this conductor, and all of a sudden, what does he do? He sits, and his back is to the audience, and then he starts, right, and, he, and he's guiding this symphony, this orchestra, and you're like, well, can, and actually, there's a, some people say that in theory, the, the, the musicians can actually play pretty much on their own. Um, they've been practicing this so much, so why do you really need a conductor? But others say you the conductor, the, the job of the conductor is to be able to have these musicians that sometimes they don't have these monitors the way the musicians today have these in-ear monitors. So sound tends to not travel at the same rate, right? So it takes time to travel from one end to the other. So everybody needs to hear each other. And this conductor is leading them in, in, uh, in the music, right? And he's in, in his interpretation of whatever piece they're going to be playing. And so we look at that and like, okay, where are, you, where are you going with this? It's no different in a movie. 
if you look at a movie, Cooper, you have a director. Why do you need a director? Because a director is grabbing, whether it's a book or whatever it is that's turned into a film, this, this director is guiding you. He's, he, you're going to see that movie through the lens of that director, right? Whether it's a Christopher Nolan film or a James Cameron, whatever it is. Point is that you're going to see that film through, that, through the eyes of that director. The same way you're going to hear a musical piece, a concert, through, through, through the interpretation of that conductor. And sports, you see, it's no different in sports. Every team has a what? A manager. That manager, before the, before the game, sets out the strategy. The whole week you've been preparing for that particular game or that match, and they're saying, this is how we're going to play that team. This is how we're going to prepare to play that opponent. Right? And the job of the, of the team is to what? It's to execute. It's to execute whatever the strategy of that manager has planted or has, has put forth. Right? Same way for the musicians and, and everybody else if you're in a movie. So our faith as believers is no different. All of us, all of us, without exception, have an agenda that's already been laid out for us. And our job, our shepherd, has given us that particular mission, and now our job is to go ahead and follow the commands that our shepherd has already given us, our commander-in-chief, right? And, and those commands are found in Scripture. I don't make them up. I think none of the pastors have made them up. They're in Scripture. And, our, and my heart here this morning is to be able to present that to us in such a way so that we, we, we buy in and we say, okay, if this is what Scripture is really teaching, then, then I, I have to step up, right? Um, so let us see here. Um, in Philippians, now to kind of give you the backstory of Philippians, Luke, in chapter 16, all right, he details, he's kind of been detailing Paul's missionary journeys. And in Luke chapter 16, he, he actually goes through Paul's second missionary journey, and he's telling us what happens when Paul actually arrives to Philippi. Okay? And so all this to say that there at Philippi, this is precisely where uh, Paul gives the gospel, and this jailer comes, uh, comes to faith with his family, Lydia, so other people good, she comes to faith as well and trusts in the Lord Jesus. Then you fast forward in Luke, right, the gospel according to Luke, you fast forward to the end and you see that now uh, Paul is in house arrest. Paul is in house arrest because, why is he in house arrest? Well, he appealed to Caesar. See, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, they were upset. He had to go before the Sanhedrin and they're upset that, um, that Paul has violating the law of Moses. They're upset that he's defiling the temple by bringing the Greeks into the temple and the Gentiles, right? And so now, Paul is saying, wait a second, you know, uh, what's going on? And, and he's fighting his arguing, right, with Felix, uh, Agrippa, then um, and Portius Festus, and then he says, you know what, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen, go, go, go off, and, and they send him off to Rome. And there he is under house arrest, and, and there it is in Rome where he pens those famous prison epistles of one which is the one to the Philippians. And this is where we find ourselves in uh, Philippians, in, at least in the verses we're going to read. And Paul up until this point at the beginning of Philippians, is completely just pouring his heart out in the sense of, I'm so grateful for you guys. You don't understand. I see, I'm in house arrest. But what you guys are doing, they have sent a gift through Epaph with Epaphroditus 
to, that, to, to Paul. And Paul is saying, see, I'm under house arrest, but this is serving to advance the gospel. I'm communicating the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel. And people are coming to know Christ. And you guys are thinking of me. You guys have partnered with me. And he's thankful. He says, I, I, and I pray for you. I pray for you. I long to pray for you. This, 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 you can tell in Paul's language that the Philippians are dear to his heart. And that's, what's that, and that's the kind of the backdrop of what's happening up until this point. So Paul now, at the end of chapter 1, gets to this part. And he says this. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so my points this morning, again, only looking at verse 27, is this. A church worthy of the gospel, a church that stands firm in one spirit, and thirdly, a church that strives for the faith in the gospel. Okay, so a church that's worthy of the gospel, a church that stands firm in one spirit, and a church that strives for the faith of the gospel. So let's look at the first point. A church worthy of the gospel. Paul is making sure that the Philippians are on the same wavelength. That is why, in the free, like I just mentioned in the previous verses, in the, at the beginning of the letter, he's saying, guys, I'm in prison, but it's serving for the advancement of the gospel. I'm not here because some people just didn't like me, and yeah, in some sense, you know, they're pushing, they want him arrested, right? But it's more to that. It's the gospel that Paul has been preaching that people are not liking. That this God is not just for Jews, but he's now opened it up for, for Gentiles. And Paul is okay with that. And to them, he's violating the law of Moses. And so now they're really pressing. And Paul is just saying, guys, Philippians, we have to be genuine here. Like we, there can only be one mission, one thing that we have to devote ourselves to. We can't be duplicitous in our lifestyle. You and I cannot be duplicitous. You know what, what I mean by duplicitous? Someone who lives a duplicitous lifestyle? Someone that lives one way and then lives another. So you might come into church pretending to be one way. But the moment you step out these doors, you pretend to be another. And I get it. There's many that have said, you know, I struggle. I, I, working with youth, you see them because at church they need to be a certain way. But then you see them go to school and they behave a completely different way. It happens with us in our workplaces. So we're not, we're not uh, exempt from it. All I'm simply saying is that we need to be reminded of what Paul is telling the Philippians here. Only, only devote yourself to this. This and only this is what he's really saying. Because, excuse me, because to do the complete opposite is to literally fall to what the Corinthians were doing. Do you remember what the Corinthians were doing? Living this, uh, a life of debauchery. I mean, just making a mockery of the gospel. And Paul had to address that with the Corinthians. So we can't fall into that trap. So we have to devote ourselves in light 
And, and, and for the Philippians, he's telling them this in light of the persecution that they're dealing with. This wasn't because the Philippians are, are so happy, you know, and joyful and, and prosperous. No, on the contrary, he's telling them, you guys are dealing with opposition. You guys are dealing with, just as I am in Rome, by the way, because I'm under house arrest, but just like I'm giving myself over to the, pushing the gospel forward and advancing the gospel, so must you. And let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? And Paul uses this political terminology of, of manner worthy, a manner worthy. What he's really, and when I say political terminology, see the Philippians, they were, they were part of Rome. They were part of, a, a, call it a, a trophy for Rome, so to speak. So for them, they're Roman citizens. That means as a Roman citizen, you get a lot of Roman privileges. But you also have a lot of Roman responsibilities, right? One of the things that I, um, that, that, that I tell, we would tell our children um, is that, hey, when you leave our house, you're representing Christ, you're representing our family, right? You parents know what that's like. Don't embarrass us. Don't embarrass the family. Because we ultimately don't want we don't want that. And so there's responsibility that comes as believers because Paul is now using that political term to contrast it, saying just like with Roman citizenship, you have responsibilities and privileges. Guess what? So do you as believers. So do you in that celestial citizenship that, you, that Christ purchased for you. You also have privileges. You have blessings but you also have responsibilities. You have a position now in heaven. You're saved. You're redeemed. You're a saint, right? And, and, and this is the language that, that Paul would, uh, that Peter and, and Scripture uses. Look at Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, a, a familiar passage, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is who you are today in Christ. Not just the Philippians, but here in Cornerstone. If you are in Christ, this is who you are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul later on to the Ephesians, Ephesians being one of the letters he also writes from Rome, a prison letter, he tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What was that calling? That calling was salvation. You've been called unto salvation. Now live in such a way that shows that you've been redeemed. Right? With all humility and gentleness. Not in a pompous, <laughs> I'm saved and what about you? Do you know you're going to hell? I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not, hopefully that's not your mode of evangelizing. I know there's some people that, that want to go about that way. But when you know you've been saved and you know that who's touched you, it breaks you. It breaks you because you are aware that God didn't have to save anybody. A holy God doesn't have to save anyone. And yet he chose me. Uh, we were just having this conversation last night at, uh, at a friend's birthday party. 
uh, this infinite God outside of time and space over the universe. And you just imagine how many galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies there exist in a universe. And we're just one galaxy. We're just part of one galaxy. And he knows them all by name. And yet you continue and, and you zoom in and you continue zooming 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 in. And then you realize that somehow there's this little planet called Earth in one of these little galaxies. And then you zoom in a little bit more. How many times does it, does it take you on Google Maps just to zoom in to Florida? And, that, and, and that's just on an application. And you have the God of the universe that thought of you. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And this is to whom we've been called to. We've been called to this reality. So that is why he can say with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. They've already been exhorted, let this be your manner of life, just like it is for me. You have to live it out. And keep in mind, you don't get to make it up as you go. You don't get to make up your own rules. You don't get to go ahead and decide, you know what, forget the conductor. <laughs> I want to go ahead and play my own notes. I'm going to play it in my own key. Forget the, the strategy of the coach. I'm just going to do my own thing. It, it won't work. You'll immediately notice, you'll immediately notice that that orchestra piece will immediately turn into a cacophony and, not a, it, and it stops to be a symphony. That is why this morning, this, this, this idea, I titled this sermon, The Symphony of the Church. Because that is exactly what we've all been called to do to be symphonic as a church. What does symphony mean? A harmonious agreement as opposed to a cacophony, which is what? A harsh melding of sounds that just don't make any rhyme. Or, or not, it's not pleasant to the ear. For sure it's not pleasant to the ear. And we've been called to live this symphonic lifestyle as a church. So when you are evangel evangelizing, be careful. Be careful when you evangelize the message that you give to people. Because if all you tell them is come to Jesus because he's going to fix you. He's going to fix your marriage. He's going to fix your relationship. He's going to fix your finances. He's going to fix all these things. Then you miss the boat. Because the Christian faith is the complete opposite. I was just talking with, with my son uh, some, some weeks ago in the car and you think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get how, how people like come to, come, come to Christianity thinking that this is the way it's going to be because it's actually quite hard. It's actually very, very difficult. I mean, our brother, our pastor, Dayron, going through James, count it all joy when you encounter different trials. It's not if, but you will encounter trials. And yet we have to count it all joy. Hmm. Because this is the faith that we live, beloved. This is the faith that we've been called to live. That is why precisely this can only be our only manner. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let it be a sweet fragrance to our Savior. That what you produce, and it's really not you producing it, it's Him producing it in us and uh, through us. 
Hey, how many of you do not want to have something to render to his feet one day? On that day when you stand before him, I don't want to come empty-handed, beloved. And I know Edwin, Edwin mentioned, you know, like I was thinking in that dream that he had a couple weeks ago. And I suspect that many of us will feel that way, but then we'll realize that whatever we cast upon his feet is solely because he did it in us and through us. But we want to endeavor to do that. And then he says this life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ must be a genuine lifestyle. It's not just avoid being duplicitous, but be intentional in being genuine. Be intentional in being genuine. Be committed. And this commitment can't be tied. Paul says it clearly to them. Whether whether I'm present or whether I am absent, let this lifestyle be made manifest in your lives regardless of whether I'm with you or not. Don't only act a certain way because the pastor is, oh, the pastor's there, so let me, uh, and then he turns around, and you're like, you kids, you guys know what that's like, right? When your parents are not there, when the cat's away, the mice play. Is that what we take, is that what we bring to our faith? You know, well, no one's watching. So I guess I'll just do whatever I want. We have to be genuine. Alec Matir says it this way. And, I, and, and it's fascinating because he says, an apostolic church is not necessarily a church in which an apostolic person is resident, but it must be a church cast in the apostolic mold. You know what he's saying? It's not about the apostle himself, but in what the apostles are living living out, what they're fleshing out through persecution, through all the trials that they're dealing with, through all the things that Paul had dealt with in his missionary journeys, that is the same heart we're called to have. I don't get to make it up, beloved. Have you ever asked yourself this question? How did the first century church ever take off? I guarantee you it wasn't because a couple of millionaires sowed a couple of seeds. The, the, the first century church never took off because of that. The first century church took off because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, filled a couple of men that were willing and able and were made available and said, here we are. The Lord Jesus promised it. Now the Holy Spirit takes residence. And now they're going forth with that gospel. They're heralding Christ the King. That is what they're doing. So you want to know how the first century church took off? It was very simple. It was disciples pointing other disciples to Jesus. And that's all they did. Because that at the end, beloved, is what the Great Commission is all about. Pointing people to Jesus. Whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever, it doesn't change. I, as a believer, need to be pointed to Jesus daily even more so for the unbeliever. The unbeliever also needs to be pointed to Christ. And that is what we get to do as a body of Christ. Secondly, the church that stands firm in one spirit. I know, I wish that all, I could say, I wish I could say up here that the the church of Christ is united. All of you would probably say, 
If I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you disagree with that statement? I can see at least 100% of you raising your hand. Because the last thing that you probably see and what an unbelieving world sees is a united church. What the world sees is oftentimes a divided church. It's unfortunate, but that is the state of affairs, beloved. I'm just talking about what's out there. And yes, the evil one has his part. Satan is there to divide. Satan is there to devour. Satan is there to stick his foot and trip you up. Yes, he's doing all that. But it's not all Satan's doing. We have our responsibility as well as believers. It's one thing to disagree on politics. It's one thing to disagree on the economic status of the United States or or foreign economies. It's one thing to disagree on the stock market. It's uh, one thing to disagree on, you name it, on culture. But one thing the church cannot disagree on is the gospel. We cannot afford to disagree on the gospel. If we are divided on the gospel and what that means, we're in trouble. And unfortunately, there's many churches that have left the gospel aside. For what? For cultural politics. For politics just in general. Whatever the, the, for, for financial blessings and means. There's so many that, that, have, that have left the gospel aside and exchanged it for something else which is not even a gospel. It's anathema to the, to, to the Lord. And that is what we have to be careful. So Paul is telling the Philippians, he's in, uh, they need to stand firm in one spirit. And Paul is well aware that there's division. I mean, Paul saw it in Corinthians. As a matter of fact, if you flip a couple of pages in Philippians, he addresses a couple of people. In Philippians chapter 4, he calls Yodia and Syntyche to find agreement. Paul is pushing them, hey, find agreement. Tell them to agree in the Lord. Because division is so, can so easily hinder the gospel among God's people. That doesn't mean that we won't have differences. What it just means is that how we handle those differences matters in light of the gospel. And there's certain things that are non-negotiables, beloved. There are certain things that we cannot negotiate. We must not negotiate. Okay, so we don't negotiate, but what do you do? I mean, if you have to compromise, is that what we do? We compromise? Is that the solution? No, that is not the solution. I'll give you an example. Did Paul compromise with Peter? Paul didn't compromise with Peter. I mean, Peter wrote a couple of letters. Peter's a, a father in the church, so to speak. What was, what, was, um, what was Peter doing there in Galatia? Right? Telling people to follow the Jewish traditions. Follow the Jewish traditions. And then when he, when he, wasn't, uh, when he, when he wasn't with the Gentiles, or when he was with the Gentiles, hey, follow the Jewish traditions, and then all of a sudden he would isolate himself. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? Have you gone mad? Have you lost it? You're being a hypocrite. You're living one way with the Gentiles and another way with the Jews. 
Why? Because you're afraid of the Jews? So Paul confronted him. Because the gospel cannot be compromised, beloved. That is how important it is. And the key to gospel unity is the Holy Spirit. It's not our strength. Jesus taught the disciples that the counselor will come and lead them into all truth. Isn't that what he says in John 15? The counselor is going to come and lead you to all truth, beloved, and testify about Jesus. I mean, and, and sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit just in terms of the gift giver. He's the one that just, hey, you want to speak in tongues? That's the Holy Spirit. You want financial blessings? That's the Holy Spirit. Hey, you want to prophesy? That's the Holy Spirit. And we just reduce the third person of the Trinity as a means to an end. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is there to unite us as he points us to Jesus. As the body of believers that we are, that the Holy Spirit is there to hold us together, to point us into all truth. That is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not just there to seal, to put the seal of redemption on you according to Ephesians 4, right? The Holy Spirit is there as Jesus prayed, and we're going to hear a little bit later in John 17. Sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. The word is applied by the Holy Spirit. You know who's operating right now, this morning? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in your hearts this very moment, beloved. He's working in mine. That is what we have to remember. And he's there to unite us. He, he's there to remind us of his grace and his mercy when we blow it. He reminds us to reconcile with one another when we have differences. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that has to be, beloved, gospel unity. When gospel unity takes root in our minds, it's going to have an effect in our attitudes and how we come to church and how we gather with God's people and how we interact with one another. Because it has to be a mindset among God's children. It can't just be theoretical. It can't be theoretical. Don't expect to be united as a church. Cornerstone, CBC, will not be united if this is just simply theoretical. Because the moment you have differences, guess what you're going to do? I mean, we dealt with it a couple weeks ago. There's people that will have differences. But when you put the gospel front and center, the beauty of reconciliation that reminds you of what Christ did, it's beautiful because that is, I wish, and we were saying, you know, in the meeting, we wish that there were more meetings like that where there's differences and, and you know, miscommunications, but we're not going to compromise on the gospel. The gospel is a non-negotiable, and we come here with that heart to make much of Christ and to honor him, even if that means having putting my pride aside. That is, beloved, that is the heart of godliness of people devoted to the gospel. And finally, a church that strives for the faith of the gospel. I think it's pretty evident that if this is not ingrained in us, if, we're, if we don't see the importance of this verse in our minds, it's not going to flesh itself out. It won't. It will not. One of the things that we've been, the last couple of weeks, this is what you've been hearing from uh, the last couple of sermons from our brother Edwin. Commitment 
Commitment to who? To the church. Why the church? Because that is precisely who Christ died for. Right? If you were here in our family meeting last week during Sunday school, what is one of the things that we desire to see at Cornerstone is that we desire to see a people committed precisely to that, to Jesus. And I mentioned it there, and I'll mention it here. One of the most encouraging things is as we were looking at, you know, how many people, and not that serving is a litmus test for, for commitment. There's other ways, but it's encouraging when you actually get to see it. When we go through our membership, those that have precisely said, you know, I want to be a member here, and you see 50% of them serving in some capacity. Serving the Lord. That, beloved, and I, told, and I said it there in the meeting, and, and, and I'll say it again today, beloved, that's a unicorn in today's church. What do I mean by that? Because you usually see in large churches uh, just a handful of people doing the heavy lifting, and everybody else just kind of stands back and expects those people. And then what happens? People burn out. People burn out, and all of a sudden, you're like, why did that person burn out? Well, <laughs> let me tell you how much time you have. But when you see God's people coming together and you're saying, wow, 50% of the people of the membership are serving, that is encouraging. Because that is something that shows that people are striving for faith in the gospel. And you know what it means to strive? It means to contend for. When you are contending for something, you understand and it's assumed that whatever you're contending for is a value. Otherwise, you wouldn't contend for it, would you? What do, what do NBA teams contend for from the beginning of the season? Why, or, any, or any sports team, from the, from the, from the prior to the beginning of the season, what are they preparing for in the offseason? That championship, right? That's what they're contending for. And then you see the teams that all of a sudden tank on purpose just to get a couple of picks in the lottery, you won't tell me that that team is contending for the championship anymore. What, they, what you're telling me is they're finding something more valuable, and that's in the draft picks rather than the actual championship. They've given up on that already. They're looking ahead to something else. When we, as a church, unite, come together in mind, in heart, in body, beloved, we have the, the potentiality of making some of the best music, symphonic gospel music with our lives. As Christ comes, as he comes to lead us, we get to go ahead and make much of him, make much of Christ together. Not just me from a pulpit. This is, this is, a, this is a small picture. This is a small microcosm. But what we do outside these walls, what we do together as a church, matters. And the beauty of this part in this passage is that Paul is leading. He's saying all of these things because he's leading to the crescendo. That crescendo in chapter 2 that all of us have read many times and have heard many times. What's that crescendo? I'll read it for you. In chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here comes the crescendo. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, that one day will be us when we're seated at that table. When we look back and we stand before him, will we look back and see a church, a church that's committed, a church that, whose only manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Christ, a church that is standing firm in one spirit, Will Christ, if he comes back today, will he, will he see a local body of believers at Cornerstone striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? That is the goal, beloved. And I pray that as the year progresses, that all of us continue to endeavor to that, to make harmonious music for our sweet, sweet harmonious music for our Savior, a pleasing sound him of worship and if anyone here that doesn't know that I pray that you would come to know Christ to that end that you would that that it, it's, it's what everyone said a couple weeks ago and I'll repeat it you can't call you can't say Jesus is my Savior and not accept that he's your Lord he must be your Savior and your Lord and that doesn't change week in and week out it must remain all right so with that being said, let us pray. And we're going to be um, preparing our hearts now as we continue in worship, in communion. As we partake of the Lord's table together, let us be mindful of what the Lord has done. Father, we, we come to you. We come to you mindful of all our shortcomings, mindful of all our sin, but mindful also of our great Savior, our great Redeemer. Father, forgive us when we, when our, ma when our manners of life are, is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we mar your name, Jesus. Forgive us for the times that we make much 
of ourselves and not of you. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you for being patient and long-suffering with us, your people. Lord, we commit ourselves to you once again. Any area in our lives where we are falling short, where we, where there's disorder, bring order. Wherever there's a lack of discipline, bring discipline. Even if that means that you chastise us. Because we know that your chastisement is in love. Because you chastise all those whom you love. Because your goal is to make us more like Jesus. And so, Father, we even welcome that. Show us, or show us that as a church, as a body. Help us to function like the body that you've called us to be. And now, Father, as we remember what the Lord Jesus did for us, I pray that you search every heart here this morning. I pray that, Father, that there would be no area that would go untouched, that there would be no area in our lives that would be off limits to you. Search us. Examine us. See if there's any wicked way in us. But at the same time, Father, as you bring those things to mind that we may repent of them, also remind us that it's been paid for. That Jesus fully paid our debt on the cross. That he was crushed for our iniquities. That our debt has been canceled. Remind us of that glorious truth, Father the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.